0: This is Coda Radio, episode four hundred and three for March first, twenty twenty-one. Hello there, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development in the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by a Cloud Guru. A Cloud Guru now includes Cloud Playground. You can get Azure, AWS, or Google Sandboxes on ACG's credit card. Not yours. Get certified, get higher, get learning, a cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us like the podcasting pioneer that he is for 403 episodes, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike.
1: Oh, I'm chilly, Chris. Really? In Florida? In Florida, it's ice cold. We have uh, Mr. Freeze is here just blasting us with his Ice gun. Uh-huh. What is it? Like sixty degrees Fahrenheit? what, what is it? It's like seventy. <laughs> but I have a solution to my plight. Okay, good. A way to both warm up my body, my soul, my general spirits, and improve my Objective C coding. I am of course talking about for sixty five dollars that low, low price, <laughs> the coder. It's too late. You're too late. You've come over too late. It's done. The sale is over. Talking about I bought three of them today
0: yeah i turned it off early, a little bit ago i was a little late because I, I was you know what i thought you know let a couple people sneak a few orders in but uh we have to cut it off because eventually we have to you know put the orders in for printing and all that or actually it's it's
1: embroidering so i just thought of that whole little shtick and there's no coder or robe i mean it's technically sold out folks the robe was a lie you never know though it could come back. The
0: thing is, is life is better in a rope. So I don't want to deprive the people of that. And now what we have to do is uh, discover how brutalized we've been by international shipping because I've never done anything like this before ever. And I couldn't get an estimate of how much international shipping would be before we had all the orders in place. They just, they refused to give it to me. Uh, And so I'm just kind of guessing. So at first I put like, $10 $10 on there for international shipping. And then I realized that was probably $35 too cheap. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. We'll see. Uh, that's a big lesson learned. And then what we learned from that, I'll probably internalize that. And then we'll have uh, other stuff. We got a request for coasters too, which I would like another batch of coasters
1: myself. I have two vintage Coderodeo coasters on my desk here.
0: But robe which uh, you'll soon be uh, wrapped in its glory. <laughs> I am uh, kind of getting whiplash. You're giving me you're giving me a little bit of anxiety with the switching here. First, you're on Windows, then you're on the Mac, and then you're tweeting about being on the Lemur again, and uh, it's like th- three weeks, three different platforms. My head's spinning.
1: Well, you know, I've been on Tinder for operating systems and it's, I've just been swiping right.
0: <laughs> is this, uh, I mean, okay. <laughs> I think this is fun to just chronicle, just to see you jump around a little bit because I could kind of get a sense of like what you're working on. Like, okay, so he's taking a break on whatever it was on the Windows platform for and he's picked up something that he's using Linux for again. And
1: that's, that's what I grok from afar. That's what you grok, right? So, yes, each platform other than Mac, which is kind of like just, doing its own thing, there is a native specific piece of software being written, which I will say that I have thoughts on my brief experience in Windows. So many thoughts.
0: That's, I feel like a whole episode almost in there.
1: Yeah, I think we need to wait until I have all my notes together, but I have thoughts.
0: Okay. Well, I did a thing. You know, I I started to talk about it last week, but we were all over the place. I didn't mention it, but I decided to pull the trigger on a 165 hertz refresh rate monitor. Nice. Quick recap for those of you who are not familiar. I never considered a high refresh rate monitor because uh, I like to play some video games, but I'm not a big, big gamer. But then I ended up reviewing a laptop with a high refresh rate screen in it, and I realized the entire computer UI feels more responsive. Everything feels faster. It's not just for games, it turns out. Obvious statement now that I'm making it, but I had never really connected the dots until I tried one. After I tried one, I was broken. And I've been on a quest to optimize my machine performance at every step that I can without actually replacing the machine because it's just a horrible time to build a PC right now. So I've gone through the route of replacing the kernel with something a little faster, a, a, a different fork of it, if you will. I've gone through the process of optimizing the user space a little bit. And now I have added a 165 hertz gigabyte M27Q, 27 inch 1440p monitor. It's technically a gaming monitor, but Newegg had a fantastic deal on this thing. I decided I'd pull the trigger because of that great deal. And I plugged it in a couple of days ago. And it really feels like everything's coming together. The the optimizations I've done to Firefox, the optimizations I did to Plasma, the optimizations I did to the Linux kernel, and now with this 170 hertz, but it's, it's at 165 on my machine, but fine. It's fantastic. Plus, I haven't got a new monitor in years, many, many years. And so this is like a brilliant, beautiful display, an IPS display, and the fricking UI looks better. Like Firefox looks better. The themes look crisper. The colors are more differentiated. I, I didn't realize how the gray and blues were all kind of just all mushed together on my old screen. And with this new one, it's they, they pop, and it looks fantastic. So it's a nice gear upgrade. And I feel like, I feel like I'm the happiest I have been with my machine performance since I've owned that thing. And it's, you know, I think it's like a 2017 rig, maybe. 2018, maybe at the
1: latest. So what did this uh, beauty cost you?
0: It was $300. Well,
1: oh, that's not bad.
0: No, for a 1440p, 170 hertz, 27-inch monitor with a bunch of different input and an integrated KVM. Yeah. That was a great deal. So I plugged it right in, and uh, God bless Plasma. It is supporting multiple refresh rates, so my two side monitors, which I did not replace are running at 60 hertz, and the center monitor is running at 165 hertz. It's working great. It's fancy, Mike. I really recommend it. That's that's my performance pro tip is if you're going to really try to get a fast system, don't even bother unless you're upgrading the screen too. It really made a difference for me. Speaking of pro tips, James writes in with a Zoom pro tip. He says, hey guys, you were talking about Zoom fatigue last week. It's real. (laughs) I find a way to counter it is to put a window over my face, you know, cover your face on the screen. For some reason, when we can see ourselves, I've noticed that we subconsciously obsess over the minutiae of how we look. It's kind of like a baby laughing at themselves in a mirror, and it gets tiring. In normal conversations, we cannot see ourselves, so we don't really think about how we're looking the entire time. But spending an hour trying to make yourself appear normal is actually exhausting. So give it a go. It actually helps cover your face was having a conversation with my neighbor over the weekend. And, uh, they both husband and wife was, were complaining about zoom fatigue. They brought it up. And in fact, it was in the context of this guy was thinking about, he wants to pitch his boss on an idea and he thinks he's just going to wait until they're back in person again to pitch him on it because everybody's just tired of zoom. And, it, and he feels like it's actually going to hurt
1: the sale in a sense. I mean, this zoom fatigue thing, What is the alternative if you're not going to be in the office? Audio calls. Oh yeah, no, that's my preference. I mean,
0: Uh, like just jump, you know, jump on whatever chat app you use and just use this audio feature and don't turn the
1: camera on. Why is that so hard? I think a lot of people want to have the camera because they want to try to replicate that, you know.
0: Well, and a lot of corporate workplaces have a camera on policy. I, I have seen that. I have seen it where it's like, um, just a reminder, like after the meeting or like during the meeting, like in a side chat, just a reminder that we do have a camera on policy. Uh, it's for team. It's for team morale.
1: You know, I always felt like it's because the meeting is too big and most of the time no individual really doing anything. So they want to make sure you're not like walking around your kitchen, you know, making your kid lunch or whatever.
0: Well, someone you and I may know, mutually know, f- friend of the show, mm. uh, and I may have conspired on an idea to create a video loop that we could then feed in as a virtual camera to zoom of just basically sitting there and nodding. And, uh, there was someone who experimented. He created uh, pre canned responses with transitions that he could hit a button on his keyboard and it would be like just a standard meeting response. Copy that. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. We can circle back on that. You know, just those kinds of pre-canned stuff. And uh, he got away with it for a week. He made a whole video about it on YouTube. Circle back, circle Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad, though. It's It really is. It really is pretty awful. So uh good pro tip is cover yourself up. I thought maybe it was just me. I thought maybe because I was vain or because, uh like, what I get fixated on is the camera shot and the background. And I want there to be depth. And I want there to be color. And, like, I... Yep. I try to frame it properly and I don't really actually want to be in the center, but I like being off to center. But like all these stupid things that just don't work well in a Zoom call. And that's me. I'm that guy. I'm that guy.
1: I've never understood, but I know it's a thing, the hatred of like just traditional conference calls. Mm -hmm. Like even if you're doing them on Zoom, right? Whatever. And then I'm going to say it, you know,
0: this is my spicy take for the show, I guess. But it is apparently completely socially acceptable to comment on men's appearance. In a Zoom call because during the pandemic, I didn't get my hair cut. I didn't, I didn't feel like it was worth going to... For a while, you couldn't here in Washington. And then even once you could... You couldn't get your hair cut? Huh, yeah. Huh? Oh, the Florida's the
1: land of the free. Just keep going.
0: Well, now you can. I have. I'm, I am now getting my hair cut. But I went for about a year-ish, almost a year without getting my hair cut. And it got pretty long, you know, down well past my shoulders even. And every Zoom call I would get on, would start with people commenting on my hair growing out. You know, after the first week or two, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 my hair's getting long. But then after like six months of it, you start thinking, can we just stop commenting on how I appear? Like, I don't really like that to be the topic of conversation as my appearance. And I wasn't like particularly confident about the the look. I, I felt kind of awkward about it myself. And it was apparently totally fine because it happened by by a, all genders and all all types would just decide to comment about my hair. And I would never start a conversation like that, you know, and, and you don't you know, generally start in-person conversations like that either. And that was an aspect of the Zoom meetings that I found to be um, tiring, you know, in a sense.
1: I mean, I've been sexual harassing you for eight years, so.
0: Yeah, but that's, you know, that's not really it's different. It's, it's different because it's not really harassment when I'm asking for it.
1: <laughs> oh, my <So> God. Pa- <laughs> yeah. So remember Paul. how you were worried about YouTube? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Paul writes in with a with a question that I can connect with. He says, a Vala Hala guy is a longtime C and C Sharp guy. I've recently started digging into Vala and uh, some slight tooling issues aside. I'm thoroughly enjoying the language so far. It feels like if C Sharp had been dropped on C's door as a baby. But where do you see these more niche languages taking part in, say, paid work? I'm not so much concerned about it while I'm an active maintainer but more so down the road should the relationship dissolve. For context, you know, take a look at something like an LOB application, so line of business application. So something that he would have to hand off potentially. What are, what are your thoughts on using something like VALA, which is, as he puts it, one of the more niche languages, in something where somebody is actually cutting you a big old check for some line of business application?
1: In VALA? Yeah, or, you know, insert the name of any niche not widely used but loved language. I mean, if you manage to sell someone Vala, which that's not me taking a shot at Vala, great. Like The question is, is it, is it
0: I don't know about moral, but is it, is it the wrong thing to do to leave somebody with something that's hard to support after the
1: fact? I mean, everything is hard to support after the fact. <laughs> Yeah. I mean Vol is not a particularly esoteric language. I know it's not that popular, but if you know a little bit of C sharp, you're, you're or Java, you're probably gonna get it. Um I think it's the default language that the elementary OS guys use for their application development. Oh yeah. I don't know. I think it's a fine choice. I mean, people write stuff in all kinds of stupid languages like Go yeah. and PHP.
0: I'll tell you though, I like I have I have back in my bad days of contracting, I have rocked up to an organization, walked in like, Mr. I'm going to fix it, and log into their system and discover it's like some crazy old Red Hat box or, or BSD box that's some esoteric setup this guy has done that is a, a complete like dream setup that he had, but something that's almost completely unmaintainable by me. And so often those kinds of situations leave the end user with no other option than paying somebody like me to come in
1: and just replace it. I just don't see the problem. If if it solves, if whatever solution you have solves their problem. Right. And they are going in knowing that you're using this thing called Vala, then that's fine. How do you even disclose something like that? Like,
0: hey, yeah, I got this idea. It's going to do everything you want, but it is used, just so you know, it's using a
1: niche programming language. Yeah. I I think that would scare them away, don't you? Well, that's the risk you take, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. I mean, personally, I would pitch Objective-C every opportunity I got.
0: Actually, I think your point, though, is it's the client's
1: risk to accept. And if they accept the risk, then go forward. Right. Like if you didn't tell them that this was a risk. Yeah. Then that then I mean, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Maybe that's still OK, but it seems sort of jerky. Mm. But I mean, I don't know. Whenever I bid a contract, out, we actually just have a piece of paper that lists the technologies we intend to use.
0: And Wes makes a great point, too. It's going to depend on what other technologies they have in place. Are they already using multiple languages? Do they have an engineer in-house who has a preference? Also, you know, something else you could do is look to see if there's someone who
1: could replace you. No, no, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Mark in the chat room is managing Visual Fox Pro. I have a project where I'm migrating things out of Visual Fox Pro right now, and it needs to die.
0: See, that's what I'm thinking is it you, you, you could be that situation with something like
1: this. Yeah, it's it's a it's a goddamn nightmare. But
0: so I think really the answer is though is it's the client's decision to make, and then it's the challenges is you've got to explain to them how to mitigate the risk and why it's worth that risk, and uh, you know, like if, if you can't articulate that reason, maybe maybe it's not the right tool for the job to begin with.
1: Right, and in your particular case of Vala, Vala is not like I don't know closure. Sorry, Wes, that you know normal developers can't comprehend. You have to come down from the mountain. I love it. Okay. Unnecessary, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm still smarting from that seven-week challenge. Damn it! <laughs> All right. Well, Link wrote in and wanted to get your take
0: on a hot take that uh, Drew Devault—not the Drew that edits this show, but Drew Devault, a, a uh, developer of, of, I think, Sway um, and a bunch of a bunch of open-source projects—and he writes in that Rust is. Well, it has issues. Uh, I guess he breaks it down into kind of three major areas, and I'll give you the highlights here. He starts and says, Rust breaks a lot of stuff, and in ways that are difficult to fix. The Rust cargo cult needs to pause and reevaluate. Switching to Rust breaks things for anyone who steps even a toe out of the norm of Linux Mac Windows on x86-64 or ARM64. Even on supported platforms, it comes with a substantial Substantial Burden of build requirements calling for 10 times to 100 times of more RAM CPU time and power usage Whatever benefits choosing rust is ultimately choosing to lock a large group of people out of your project and dooming many more to struggle with frustration These are real trade-offs that you need to consider Rewrite in rust has become a moral imperative Well, here's another moral argument throwing away serviceable components every couple of years to upgrade is a privilege that not all of your users have, and it contributes to climate change and it fills up landfills. Rewriting your code in Rust is always going to introduce new bugs, including security bugs that wouldn't be there if you just maintained the C code. Maybe there's an undiscovered bug lurking in your C code base, but as your code base ages under continuous maintenance, that number will only shrink. A working C toolchain can be written in a couple tens of thousands of lines of code. The only working Rust toolchain is tens of millions of lines of C++ and Rust code. Rust is kind of cool, but it's not a panacea. There are legitimate reasons to prefer C, both technical and moral, and Rust still needs a lot of work before it's ready for prime time in systems which prioritize stability, reliability, simplicity, and accessibility. To the Rust team, It's time to calm down, slow down the language, write a specification, focus on improving your tier two and tier three targets, expand to more platforms and work on performance, stability and accessibility.
1: That's a lot in there. Coming in hot. I wish uh, Drew had listed which platforms he was having a hard time with. I've done a bit of rust, but mostly on just like AMD 64 Linux. Right. So
0: he does make a quick mention of Power 9 and RISC-V.
1: Okay, I must have missed it. Okay, that makes sense. So there's a bit of irony here. One of our topics for today is why me and my team chose C++ over Rust just this week, which has a lot to do with some of these complaints. I think Drew has a point. I think maybe he's being a little unfair to the Rust team. I don't think they're claiming it's a panacea, right? I don't think they're claiming, right, your, you know, make a cargo package and you've solved all your technical problems for the remainder of your life. Like, you know, I tweeted out that I was looking at just doing something in C++ instead, and there's quite a bit of like, that will be insecure, you know, you should do it in Rust to avoid insert memory issue here, which I guess is kind of true. I don't think the benefits of Rust are as overstated as the writer seems to think. And if I'm, if I'm misreading you, Drew, that's, that's my fault. But I definitely can see that, you know, it is, I mean, comparing it to C or C++, they've been around forever. They, they have decent compilers and compatibility with, insert your crazy architecture here, right? You, you mentioned RISC-V, not that crazy, but fair enough. C++ works just fine on it. Um, and of course C that you mentioned. I, I don't know that I would want to discourage people from learning Rust. Even as a teaching tool, Rust actually does enforce some pretty good, I don't know if I want to say concepts or patterns, but pretty good ways of thinking about handling memory and how you should think about your code. I I sort of wouldn't want to discourage people from looking at it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And I think I agree with your take that a lot of what he points to as challenges with Rust when it comes to platform support is inherently because it is still so young. And with time, so will come that support. I think it's also very likely that that's where the puck is skating. It's obvious that over time, Rust will, will... We'll probably stitch up. It's risk five support and it's power support. I doesn't I don't think that's going to be an issue long term if there ends up being a large deployment of those platforms. It is in that stage right now, especially something like Risk V. There's there's really only one developer board in in like a Raspberry Pi style SBC that you can get your hands on right now. It's gonna change, but it's still early days. There's there's really only one or two workstations that have power chips in them that you can get your hands on these days. And they're very expensive. Uh, OS News just posted a really interesting review of one that is kind of like just a desktop tower. It looks very accessible with AMD graphics in it, and it's a power it's a power PC processor in that one. That's awesome. That that looks really interesting to me. And I I absolutely would expect that as I got more and more outside the mainstream platforms, there would be less and less support, uh, especially in something as new as Rust. But um, it was kind of refreshing see another take a more you know a little real talk around rust
1: yeah i mean i, I would say a more boring practical code or radio criticism of rust would be you may not be microsoft or amazon you may need to hire developers that you can actually get not that you're hiring bad developers but you're hiring developers who you know did not go to mit and rust you know your average 22 year old coming out of college with the comp sci degree will probably be eaten alive by rust
0: yeah, and the and the interest and the momentum sure is there.
1: Uh. <laughs> yeah, maybe I hope I'm wrong, right? I maybe please if you're if you're 22 and in the Tampa area and love your rust, shoot me an email. Linode.com
0: slash coder. Go there to receive a $100 60-day credit towards your new account. Linode is where we host everything for JB 3.0. Well, they're also the largest independent cloud out there for developers. Simplify your cloud infrastructure. Take a look at Linode. With that $100 credit, get an idea of what it can do and get an idea of why we've chosen Linode. They've got 11 data centers around the world, so there's a lot of locations to work with, something near you or your customers and clients. 40 gigabit connections coming into the machines, of course, super fast native SSDs on all of the hypervisors, and they have a really great, really great dashboard with lots of nice documentation, alerts, monitoring, I mean, you name it. I I talk about it from time to time, but they also have a great selection of one-click deployments if you want to get a base system with container support going or a a fast WordPress setup. They have a lot of really nice, just get get your website up and going, get that part figured out fast. Or you can do like what we do and just build stuff out over time, you know, get something that's really powerful and then run all of your applications on like just a couple of really powerful machines. And then for the backend storage, what we use is their object storage. They have an S3 compatible object storage. That's just fantastic because you don't have to like slice off large sections of disk, which you totally can. You can, you can go the traditional block storage route and just slice off some disk. But with object storage, I just use what I need and then I can get URLs for everything and there's ways to plug it in with the file system. It just works fantastic. And all of this, it's at your fingertips to try. You can try it right now by going to linode.com slash coder and build yourself something, something simple or something you can can really dig into. And then you can rest easy knowing that you have great support backing all of it up. Linode has top-notch support. Like, nobody does it like Linode. And that's comforting when you're running your business infrastructure on there. And you can also rest assured knowing that they started in 2003 as one of the first companies in cloud computing. And they have focused in on a handful of things that they do, and they do those things very well. They're not like some sort of crazy VC-funded startup that's just going to go nuts trying to get market share and do every little thing. They've really figured out what works, and they're independently owned, and they're founded on a love for Linux and the technology that made all of this cloud computing possible. And now... They're the largest cloud offering dedicated virtualization with CPU systems, GPU systems, shared systems at like $5 a month, and much more. There's something that's going to work for everybody. So support the show and get that $100 credit when you go to Linode.com slash Coder. That's Linode.com slash Coder. The privacy wars rage on. The hoopla is filled with. I guess the uh, next phase of where all of this is going, Facebook, this is according to Inc.com, has just admitted that it has lost the privacy war with Apple. This all goes back to those privacy nutrition labels that you kind of changed my mind on a few weeks ago, mm. and how Google and Facebook have been really struggling with this. Google just today updated Gmail for the first time since these privacy labels have gone into effect. And uh, Facebook has uh, tried to take its fight public, trying to go after Apple, Apple in the public space. Have you seen all of this? Yeah, I, so how would that work? So they're doing a couple of things. They're trying to frame this as Apple harming small business, and they've, they've released an ad, and I'll, I'll just give you a taste of like, one of their strategies. For every idea out
1: there that gets the love it should. There are five more that don't succeed and so are lost for good. And some of them are pretty flawed. And some of them are slightly odd. But many are small businesses that simply lack the tool to find excited people who will stop and say, That's cool. And these two, they like this idea. And those three like that one. And that's because personalized ads find good ideas for everyone.
0: So the idea is is that Apple is preventing small business users from reaching potential new customers by limiting how Facebook can track you. That was uh, Orwellian. Isn't that something? That was really bad. Let's just be frank. Like What Facebook is worried about and is pushing back against is if the end user is given a choice, if they want to be tracked or not, they know the end user is going to say, don't track me. And... Small businesses don't need to know your specific location, your gender, your age. Really, you, if you think about it from a small business marketing standpoint, just pick a Facebook group that matches what your product serves and advertise to that Facebook group. You don't even need to know any of that crap. Just figure it out by the groups they hang
1: out in. So I guess I don't understand how Facebook could think this would work. <laughs> like I'm trying to see like the galaxy brain 3D chess move. No,
0: cuz Apple's got him. Because it's not Apple is it's not Apple's fault that telling people how these apps are tracking them damages Facebook's business model. That is the flaw
1: of Facebook's business model. It seems a lot like the cigarette companies being pissed that the government wanted to put labels on cigarettes, right?
0: We saw Google, you know, Google resisting it too. Uh
1: just finally updating Gmail today after what? Like 2 3 months. Yeah. So in general, I think we have a problem of too many like behemoths in the world, you know, striding across and crushing the little guys. I sort of just want Apple to win here. Yeah, it's weird because it does put Apple in the uh Well, because like the problem is Facebook's business model is like not awesome for society. Right.
0: I think we have a problem with tracking in general and this is the beginning of that conversation but uh, i i don't know
1: we used to rant and rave about paying for stuff right like for years and years and years beyond here like people need to pay for software but that battle's kind of been lost
0: well all right i don't think either i mean all of us are just uh, i just it's almost just worth noting at this point i think just so we have it here in the record of the show but i don't really know if we have much more to say about it i don't we switch instead to your uh, stadia your stadia version of terraria now this whole thing This whole thing is spooky because this developer got all pissed and rage quit his port to Stadia after Google suspended his account and then just basically ghosted him and did not respond to any of his series of tweets or emails that he sent in trying to get access to his account. His business was impacted by this. His Google Apps account was impacted by this. And then afterwards, he was so frustrated. He said, that's it. I give up. I'm not going to develop for Stadia anymore. Well, Google spokesperson has confirmed to The Verge that uh, the uh, Terraria port is back in
1: development. So I did some digging and I could not find what the hell actually happened here. Yeah, other than he just got shut down, like, but no reason why, right? Right. And he's not saying, I mean, I'm sure they told him why, but at some point before bringing him back. So this is kind of where you were going with
0: the Facebook thing is like we have these weird centralizations now of control that we knew were coming all along. We're not surprised that it's here, but it is legitimately backfiring in the ways that we were concerned about. Like before the you and I started recording today, I was telling you that this is a huge concern of mine because uh, I would be shut out of my business. Certain aspects of my business would be shut down and I hear so many of these stories where you just can't get Google's attention. And this guy got lucky. I guess, you know, it 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 percolated up enough that a human saw it and took action. But you know, if you don't have an audience, if you don't have a reach, you're screwed.
1: Uh, you know, I feel like we've done eight years of talking about big tech monopolies, app stores, and data tracking.
0: I hate to say this, but it's kind of getting dystopian. It doesn't seem
1: like it's gone well. I find myself more and more wishing for the dream of the 90s web, where it'd be like, you know, Mike would have Mike.com, Chris would have Chris.com, and like we would just sell our crap on our own domains and like, Yes, we'd have to write all of our payment processing and customer management stuff ourselves or buy, God forbid, license, you know, some independent platform to do that for us instead of being on these gigantic centralized app stores that just not even because they're evil, but because of their massive scale can't help but screw over the little guy. Mm hmm. And not even with malice, but with just like...
0: Inefficiency at scale like that.
1: Right. If there's a giant colossus stroming in Athens, he's going to step on Socrates every once in a while.
0: I've been thinking about this recently, too, because I heard um, I heard somebody talking about how uh, they could only launch, you know, they were going to launch this business idea, but they were only going to launch once the app, once, once the app was ready to go. And then somebody says, so we're we going to, why don't you launch on the web? Oh, no, no, that's later if we do that. And then I started thinking about Instagram and what a impact it's had culturally and you know the sale of course to Facebook and and how Instagram has become this phenomenon that every social media influencer has to be on Instagram and it's all an app you know it has a web version but it really 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 sucks it doesn't do much there was an intern for like a day and a half yes yeah and that entire phenomenon is an app in these app stores and it really struck me that the scale at which these app stores have now. I I don't know if this is true or not, but I saw a statistic from what was supposedly a Facebook financial call that something like only 4% of their traffic comes from web and the rest is all app-based, which just seems outrageous. That's just outrageous. You look at everything that's happening with these app store policies and how these businesses are struggling like Epic, and you wonder why we didn't just invest more in the web. And I've often heard it blamed on Apple because Apple wants to have the App Store be successful. But mobile Safari was one of the most, if not the most competitive mobile web browser to begin with and has continued to remain very competitive in adding features. And it doesn't seem like Apple is crippling the capabilities of its web browser. Uh, Some people have written in and said, arguably
1: Apple could do some things to improve it. And maybe they will. I don't buy that. I don't. I don't think iPhone uh, iPhone Safari is nerfed enough to really.
0: Yeah, I think it all could have been on the web. You know, I've been thinking about if I got more into video again, I'd really like to publish it on JupiterTube, which is a peerTube instance that we're running off of Linode. And there's no algorithm. There's no YouTube clickbait system you have to do to get views. There's no having to ask people to like and subscribe. And hit the bell button, none of that. It's just our own video platform, and the only thing that's on there is Jupiter Broadcasting Videos. We're live streaming on there right now, uh, on Monday night. And it will always just be a silo. Because it doesn't have that network effect, because it isn't YouTube, you know, things get 80 views, maybe. And there is a real notable reduction in traffic.
1: Okay, so this is Mike's crazy conspiracy theory. I think what happened... Is the web 2.0 stuff, you know, when like people were really doing interactive websites, like in the, I don't know, the early aughts, I guess, mm-hmm. didn't get enough time to get off its feet until, until the iPhone came out. And I mean, yeah, like the, I think about the businesses that started as like iOS development shops would have probably been web development shops. Hmm. It's a similar kind of mix of people, right? Designers and developers. Do you think it's at all notable that,
0: like Clubhouse, which is the social media network with the most buzz at the
1: moment, is iOS only? Well, I think, right. That's what I'm getting. I think there's multiple bad trends that happened. One, just like we've spent years talking about this, the lessening of people's willingness to pay both by volume and by just actual sticker price on platforms that aren't iOS or Mac is pretty significant. And even then on those platforms, people aren't willing to pay now very much. Sure. My issue with this conversation is I don't know how we could get back.
0: Right. I don't think we can. Datadog.com slash CoderRadio. Solve some problems. Analyze code level performance across your environment and troubleshoot issues faster with Datadog. Datadog.com slash CoderRadio. Datadog's Continuous Profiler automatically collects profiles from your production servers all the time. So you can analyze any of your data quickly, kapow, with minimal overhead. Get a unified picture of your environment by correlating code performance with metrics from other aspects of your system with real-time dashboards all brought into one place. With tightly integrated APM tracing, log management, and continuous profile all in one platform, Datadog enables you to pinpoint the root cause of issues faster than ever. See across your entire infrastructure in one snapshot. And if you try Datadog's products for free by going to datadog.com slash you sign up, and for a limited time after you create a dashboard, you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt. So it's a way to support the show and get some free swag. Get analytics and metrics across your entire system, your application stack, and your site Bring it all into one location and visualize it with Datadog. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. All right, so you teased this a little bit in the show, and I'm hoping this is going to pick us up, you know, because now we got kind of grumpy. We got it to old man radio. And uh, I feel like if you are making a bold statement like going with C++ in 2021, there's going to be some real meat to this one. There's going to be some spice.
1: So you're on the spot. You cannot disappoint. All right. So there was a journey here. (laughs) So my goal is to launch a product at least every year now. So this year we're doing something new. More to come on that. Ding, ding. But it requires some low-level Linuxy goodness, which one means System76 will probably somehow get more money because that's just what happens. And it also means that I couldn't just Python my way to glory. So there's a progression here, right? So I'm speccing out this project... It needs to hit multiple processor architectures, technically multiple OSs, but really the the meat the meat and potatoes here is uh, is Linux, and uh, I would tell you which flavor of Linux, but I don't want to trigger you.
0: I, I think I already know.
1: I'll give you one guess. Yeah, I don't. I know. I don't want to say its name out loud because then I get Twitter trolls. But we have new listeners in the chat room. We should tell them. We should spread the good news of the good Arch? news of Suze. Oh. Oh. Although um, they will correct me, the Germans will email me, it's SUSE. <laughs> and do not get that wrong. Get the hell out of here. So so for the new listeners, I am in the arduous process of building a data center in Plant City that exclusively runs SUSE. You okay, Christinita? I mean, I'm breathing. I'm practicing <laughs> my breathing. I'm trying. I heard there was some uh, lizard talk on Linux Unplugged, by the way.
0: It happens from time to time. You know, we slip into it. Everybody does accidentally. You just need a green, like, panic button, and I can just show up and be like, What's <laughs> going on, guys? I did have a SUSE bell at one point, but it didn't ding real well, so we got rid of it.
1: If you haven't tried SUSE for your servers, you are missing out. That's all I'm going to say. And I'll leave it there. All right. So we looked at Python and Cython. I guess I see, I see Python. I don't know. See why. You know what I'm talking about if you know anything about Python. Yeah. And it was just like, uh, Okay kind of slow i mean and we're basically now a python shop we love python but it's like oh really like some of these are going to be smaller more i i hate the term iot but low end i guess iot is fair yeah low end devices and the hardware cost is, is something i need to track are they arm yeah oh yes they are uh-huh. yeah okay but it also has to run an amd64 right in x86 mm. all
0: right
1: then we've been doing .NET for a couple clients right now more on that in a couple of weeks at least on my new adventures in wsl and it was like well net is open source now and it runs everywhere but it's net so i did kind of a quick poc fooling around with c sharp it worked yeah but then you had to like cross compile to linux which worked there's a lot of like extra setup that would have had to be done And one of the inconvenient things, and I actually have a blog post about this in the show notes uh, where I kind of detail some of this stuff out. We are basically a Linux shop now, running mostly pop, um, with like a few straggling, uh, like we have Macs for when we have to test iOS stuff. i got to be careful how I say this because people will jump down my throat. The .NET development experience on Linux in particular is not as good as it is on Windows. I don't think that's a controversial statement, right?
0: Seems like it makes sense, yeah.
1: And it's better than it's ever been, but like it's nothing near as smooth as, let's say, our Python development workflows, right?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Right. So it's like, eh, this feels kind of icky. And also there's the whole, like, we have to run things in the CLR, and it's like, ugh, this is really how we want to architect this. So then there were two other languages in content, or three. There was Go, but Go got dismissed because nobody on the team has done any Go. And it's like, there's not even like one granddad who can come in and like guide us all to to glory, <laughs> right? So that's that you know that
0: makes a big difference. You need team familiar... especially at least one person on the team. Then could at least train everybody else, right? But if nobody's got it,
1: right, and help with like crazy toolchain problems, right? So yeah. So then we were left at Rust and C plus plus, and the battle began. And the irony is our emailer Drew hates both Rust and C- or doesn't really hate Rust, but. He- Definitely hate C. Yeah. Do, 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 do. So it was a battle of the languages. Battle of the languages. There were a couple reasons. So so there's a few things here. I personally was buying into the Rust Kool-Aid on the whole safety thing and security thing. And I think that's mostly mostly fair, right? I don't think that's really I don't think that's too hyped up. But there was the reality is of other than me, no one on the team has done any Rust in any significant amount. I have done some, but I don't day-to-day work in Rust. We have all done C++ at various points in our lives, some of us more recently than others. I got down this rabbit hole of people blogging and doing content on, quote, modern C++. Have you heard of these guys?
0: This kind of rings a, it's like a way, like, to do C++ safely.
1: It's, so since C++ 14, and we're on 20 now, 23 is going to be the next version.
0: Whoa, okay.
1: Yeah. They added a bunch of features that basically, I mean, a lot of them are like aping other languages, but mm. that basically smooth over some of the rough um, rough aspects of C. One in particular, as a group, they're called smart pointers. And there's I'm not gonna dig into this too much, but they are very reminiscent to me of before ARC, how you could do objective objective C had some they're not mac- I can't remember what the right name for this is, but they're not macros, but like, you could tell it what kind of pointer you wanted, and there were different rules based on that. And then, granted, Objective-C had auto-release pulls, which C++ kind of doesn't, and it does things a little differently. But it was familiar enough to me that I was like, one, is it, could this be my new Objective-C? Because that makes me very happy. And two, it really makes me a little more confident in doing this job in C++, because this is an internal project, which means we're going to have to you know, not use all the senior people on it all the time. Then I got digging even further. I downloaded C-Line. I installed my Dracula theme. And I wrote what I can only describe as a flashback program.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right.
1: I know it's not Objective-C. I know the programming paradigm is somewhat different. It felt like when you come home Mm. to like your town you grew up in, you haven't been there in like 15 years. It's different, but there's a little bit of nostalgia there. Just typing to release memory was a joy. <laughs> Just having the star, the pointer symbol there was magical.
0: We going to need a drink for this. This is going to be...
1: <laughs> as, as memories flowed over me, the song by Big Red, Holding Back the Years, started playing in my head. I quickly popped open another window to create a subdirectory with its own cmake.list. And all the while, sea lion before my eyes and pop OS before my eyes are turning into Xcode and snow leopard respectively. I'm going back. My skin is getting smoother and lighter. (laughs) My eyes are like more, more blue. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like the good old days. I think I may have found now, of course, you know, Objective-C was my first love, you know, my, my, my high school sweetheart, you know, we were together a long time, we, we made many apps together, it, it'll always have a place in my heart. But it's time to move on. It's time to find a new programming language that also has pointers and scary memory leaks so I can torture people in job interviews. <laughs> and I think it could be. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be too forward, right? I'm only texting C++ when, when it texts back. Sure you know cuz i'm not you know you know what I mean you don't want that like build up yeah 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 and you don't want to come across too strong you like too like whatever i installed sea lion i even installed clang to really just see like hey you know i'm open to stuff and uh, yeah i think uh, we're going to make a go of it with c++
0: i find this point that you're you're kind of touching on there in there a little bit is kind of being back in like the golden era of tools again a little bit like there is a in like we were kind of in we were kind of in old cranky man territory there for a bit but i agree in all of this noise and mess some of this stuff is better than it ever has been
1: i'm just gonna say c make and c are still great
0: kind of making me feel like the good old days in some way so it's not all it's not all bad you
1: know what that said i'm popping up an Emacs. that's it we're going we're going <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> So uh, how's the rest of the team uh, coping with uh, your
1: uh, discoveries? I mean, are they on board? Is there some skill sets there? There definitely was an age discrepancy in the response. Uh, the fellow, and actually one of them is significantly older than me, were very excited. Thank God I don't have to use this crap with these NPM packages anymore and the stupid pip. and all. So yeah, there was a lot of, there was some of that. Mm. There was a little bit of, I don't know if I remember how to do manual memory management, but that's okay. Because you know what? Florida's employee at will. <laughs> Was that? Uh, no, I mean, no,
0: I just think that, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little direct. He's a jackass.
1: <laughs> but you know, it is business. Business? Yeah, it is business. No, I'm, I'm joking, <laughs> of course. Sort of. Not really. Yeah, it, it's, seriously, it is something about working in a language that doesn't want me to tinsel together 47 packages off of some random GitHub repo. It's, it's refreshing. It's like how programming used to be before we all went insane. <laughs> oh, and one of the big improvements before somebody writes into the show with a C++, I think it came in, someone will correct us in the feedback. I think it came in in 17 or 14, um, are strings that make sense. Because that was one of the big, like, mm. issues.
0: All right, so I want I want the audience's diagnosis. What do you think of uh, Mike's revelation? Coder.show slash contact. Share your opinions with us over there. And, uh, you know, we'll read uh, future emails and follow-ups on the air like we love to do. It's part of the show.
1: And I'm doing a blog series documenting the newer features of, quote, modern C++ and comparing them to a certain language who I get a little upset when I when I say its name. You know, I definitely definitely still hung up a little bit um but objective c hmm 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 i don't believe you oh look, look, look! yeah that youthful bastard he didn't know what npm was it didn't exist yet what did he <laughs> he didn't know it. he didn't it was, know what was coming for him <laughs> <It's>,
0: <laughs> he sounds he really does sound so so young and so hopeful just in that one little i don't believe you yeah oof. <sighs> it's another time it's a whole other era We're going back, Morty. Well, I also want to say thank you to our Coder QA team. Uh, You can get the Coderly report, of course, but you also support the show and get access to the limited ad feed at CoderQA.co. Thank you, everybody, who signs up and becomes part of our Coder QA team. And also, you can find our sponsor, A Cloud Guru, on pretty much all the social platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. It's just Slash A Cloud Guru. It's real easy to find ACG on social media. You can find Mike there, too. He's at Dumanuku. His company is at The Mad Botter, Inc. We'll have a link to his blog post at coder.show slash 403. I'm at Chris Les. The podcast network is at Jupiter Signal. And the show is at Coder Radio Show. But well, why not join us live? I didn't mention the live thing. That's the most fun. We do it over at JBLive.tv. Now, here's the details. Mondays, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. You come hang out. You put us up on the TV. You listen to us talk to each other. You enjoy yourself a snack, maybe a beverage. You hang out during the Dakota Radio Happy Hour. It's easy. JBLive.tv, Monday evenings. We'll see you over there. And you know what? If you got something going on, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put an RSS feed for you, too. You can get that, you can get that feed coder.show slash subscribe. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next week.